Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. I hope today finds you well and your mind and your body in a state of utopia. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking about that feeling that you get when you sit down and you realize that all your bills are paid, there's food in the house, and you have a few pennies left over in your pocket. That, my friends, is a great state of being. But sadly, a large number of us cannot get there. It's been a hard time these first six months of 2021, but I just want to say to you, joy comes in the morning. You know, my friends, lynching did not start out as a tool of racial control. It first came into being as a form of vigilante retribution used to enforce popular justice in the Western frontier. You see, in the 19th century in the Western territories, the individual desire for revenge was high. Government was absent or underdeveloped, and public support for lynching was widespread. Have you seen it on television? If you're a horse thief or a cattle rustler, you got hung. And lynching did not initially mean killing. And vigilante regulators often punished thieves, highwaymen, swindlers, and card sharks with tarring and feathering, beatings and floggings, and often ran out of town on a rail. But beginning in the 1830s and continuing in the decades following the Civil War, lynching became synonymous with hanging. Even as lynchings became more frequently deadly, they differed greatly by the region. An individual subject to a frontier lynching typically was accused of a crime such as murder or robbery, given some form of process and trial, and hanged without any additional torture or foul play. Southern lynchings, on the other hand, was entirely different and was employed to defend slavery. Between 1830 and 1860, Southern mobs killed an estimated 130 white individuals and at least 400 enslaved black people. Most were lynched under the suspicion of conspiring to mount a slave uprising a growing but largely unsubstantiated fear among whites in slaveholding states. And on top of all that, 
Southern lynchings of African Americans were distinct from lynchings of whites and often featured extreme brutality such as burning, torture, mutilation, and decapitation of the victim. Southern lynching took on even more racialized character after the Civil War. The act and threat of lynching became primarily a technique of enforcing racial exploitation, economic, political, and cultural. Characterized by Southern mob violence intended to reestablish white supremacy and suppress black civil rights through political and social terror, the Reconstruction Era was a violent period in which tens of thousands of people were killed in racially and politically motivated massacres, murders, and lynchings. White mobs regularly targeted African Americans with deadly violence, but rarely aimed lethal attacks at white individuals accused of identical violations of law or custom. By the end of the 19th century, Southern lynching had become a tool of racial control that terrorized and targeted African Americans. The ratio of black lynching victims to white lynching victims was 4 to 1 from 1882 to 1889, increased to more than 6 to 1 between 1890 and 1900, and soared to more than 17 to 1 after 1900. Lynchings in the South became increasingly and exclusively a matter of white mobs murdering African Americans. The character of the violence also changed as gruesome public spectacle lynchings became much more common. At these often festive community gatherings, large crowds of whites watched and participated in the black victims' prolonged torture, mutilation, dismemberment, and burning at the stake. Such brutally violent methods of execution had almost never been applied to whites in America. Public spectacle lynchings drew from and perpetrated the belief that African Americans were subhuman, a myth that has been used to justify centuries of enslavement and now fuel the purportedly justified terrorism aimed at newly emancipated African American communities. Lynching has been resorted to by whites not merely to wreak vengeance, but to terrorize and restrain this lawless element in the Negro population. Among Southern people, the conviction is general that terror is the only constraining influence that can be brought to bear upon vicious Negroes. Southern states were fully equipped with readily available, fully functioning criminal justice systems 
eager to punish African-American defendants with hefty fines, imprisonment, terms of forced labor for state profit, and legal execution. Lynching in this era and region was not used as a tool of crime control, but rather as a tool of racial control wielded almost exclusively by white mobs against African-American victims. Many lynching victims were not accused of any criminal act, and lynch mobs regularly displayed complete disregard for the legal system. In 1906, Edward Johnson, a black man, was convicted of raping a white woman and sentenced to death by an all-white jury in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I ask you, my friends, what is the common denominator between Greenwood, Oklahoma, Rosewood, Florida, Emmett Till, the Scottsboro Boys, and so many more? That common denominator has always been the white woman. But anyway, Johnson's attorneys appealed the case and won a rare state of execution from the United States Supreme Court. In response, a white mob seized Mr. Johnson from the jail, which had been vacated by the sheriff and his staff, dragged him through the streets, hanged him from the second span of the Walnut Street Bridge, and shot him hundreds of times. The mob left a note pinned on the corpse that read to Justice Harlan, Come get your nigger now. Mr. Johnson used his last words to declare his innocence. Nearly a century later, he was cleared of the rape. When white women lie, black men die. Through lynching, Southern white communities exerted their racial dominance over the region's political and economic resources. A dominance first achieved through slavery would now be restored through blood and terror. African Americans were lynched under varied pretenses. Today, lynching is most commonly remembered as a punishment exacted by white mobs upon black men accused of sexually assaulting white women. During the lynching era, whites' hypervigilant reinforcement of racial hierarchy and social separation, coupled with widespread stereotypes of black men as dangerous, violent, and uncontrollable sexual aggressors, fueled as a pervasive fear of black men raping white women. Of the 4,084 African-American lynching victims documented, nearly 25% were accused of sexual assault and nearly 30% were accused of murder. Hundreds more black people were lynched based on accusations of far less 
serious crimes like arson, robbery, non-sexual assault, and vagrancy, many of which were not punishable by death if convicted in a court of law. Many African Americans were lynched not because they committed a crime or social infraction, and not even because they were accused of doing so, but simply because they were black and present when the preferred party could not be located. In 1901, Bally Crutchfield's brother allegedly found a lost wallet containing $120 and kept the money. He was arrested and about to be lynched by the mob in Smith County, Tennessee, when at the last moment he broke free and escaped. Thwarted in their attempt to kill the suspect, the mob turned its attention to his sister and lynched Miss Crutchfield in her brother's place, though she was not accused of any involvement in the theft. Nearly 25% of the lynchings of African Americans in the South were based on charges of sexual assault. The mere accusation of rape, even without an identification by the alleged victim, often aroused a mob and resulted in lynching. Truth be told, the definition of black-on-white rape in the South was incredibly broad and required no allegations of force because white institution laws and most white people rejected the idea that a white woman could or would willingly consent to sex with an African-American man. When black Memphis journalist Ida B. Wells published an editorial challenging the myth of widespread black-on-white sexual violence and insisting that consensual interracial sex did occur, white mobs burned her newspaper offices and threatened to lynch her. Whiteness's fear of interracial sex extended to any action by a black man that could be interpreted as seeking or desiring contact with a white woman. In 1889, in Aberdeen, Mississippi, Keith Bowen allegedly tried to enter a room where three white women were sitting. Though no further allegations was made against him, Mr. Bowen was lynched by the entire white neighborhood for his offense. General Lee, a black man, was lynched by a white mob in 1904 for merely knocking on the door of a white woman's house in Reesville, South Carolina. In 1934, after being accused of associating with a white woman in Newton, Texas, John Griggs was hanged and shot 17 times and his body was dragged behind a car through the town for hours. In 1940, Jesse Thornton was lynched in Laverne, Alabama, 
for referring to a white police officer by his name without the title Mr. And in 1918, Private Charles Lewis was lynched in Hickman, Kentucky, after he refused to empty his pockets while wearing his army uniform. White men lynched Jeff Brown in 1916 in Cedar Bluff, Mississippi, for accidentally bumping into a white girl as he ran to catch a train. So there you have it, my friends. I'm going to end this episode here, but it can go on and on because thousands of our ancestors and kinfolks were lynched for no reason other than being And I cannot understand why whiteness has always had this insecurity when it came to their white women and black men. I do not understand it. But I'll tell you this, it was not just in the South. This fear that has been embedded in white men also lived in the North. And it is alive today. And this ugly rage of fear's head pops up whenever a black man and a white woman are together in public. I guess it all falls under the umbrella of racism. And that music tells me that it's once again time for me to exit. But before I go, I will leave you with this message. Racism is a white problem. It was constructed and created by white people. And the ultimate responsibility lies with white people. Until next time, my friends, have a great day. And it's been my honor.